right. Yeah, so have you guys enjoyed the coffee, the lattes, the frappes? We're not supposed to say that other word um, for fear of being sued. Um, we're not allowed to say it. We're, it. Blender drinks, all those kinds of things. So, um, hey, and just to be clear, any drink you purchase, a portion of that goes to, to support these, um, these worthwhile organizations. So, so please, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's make a difference in some people's lives together. Well, I hope you had a great week. My name's Andy, if I haven't had a chance to meet you. I'm the Connections Pastor here. As you saw Dave there, uh, he is away for this week, and you know, you know how it is. He, he's been working so hard lately getting this building up and ready. Um, he needed a little bit of time away. Yeah, go ahead and give it up for our lead pastor and, and his wife, Casey. They've been, they've been working really, really long hours along with a lot of our team. So, um, so thank you for that. So I hope your week was good. My week was very special. Um, and it was special for, you know, not just because of things that happened during the week. The reason this past week was so special for me had more to do with uh, what, the, what the week represented for me and my family. So 20 years ago, this past Wednesday, Jess and I said, I do. We committed ourselves to lives for, okay, thank you. Now... Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, Andy, you don't look a day over 20 years old. And uh, thank you, by the way. That was very nice of you to think that. <laughs> and, uh, but I did, I, I did not get married when I was zero years old. So I actually am a little bit older than 20. Um, but, but anyway, marrying Jess, and I think many of us in, who, are, who are married can say this. This is Marrying my wife was one of the greatest, single greatest decisions I've ever made in my life. And I've made some good decisions. I've also made some pretty bad decisions in my life. Um, sometimes we make bad decisions because we gather the facts and we get everything together and we make a choice and it turns out to be the wrong one. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes we do dumb things like, you know, just pulling this one out of the air, jump off a, a pier uh, into three feet of water and shatter our ankle. I mean, that, that, that would take right? Anyone who would do that, simpleton, right? Um, if you don't know the reference, make sure you ask our lead pastor next week what Andy was talking about. It's a fun story. Um, but, but we make bad decisions, and people make bad decisions. It's just kind of a part of the process. And so uh, we've got a few people. I want to show you some of these. These are some bad decisions people have made. Uh, so let's just show these. So you can only imagine how this one must have started, right? You got a couple guys working in the hot summer day, and they are it's so hot outside, they're not real sure uh, how they're going to make it because they need some shade. And one guy says to the other, hey, I've got an idea, right? And things progress from there. So there's bad decision number one. Or how about this guy? The guy who wants to live his life with no regrets, and he wants everyone in his life to know he's going to live in such a manner. And so he's going to tattoo his body and regret it later, um, or regret it later, maybe. I don't know. Uh, or how about this guy? This is a real thing. And uh, I saw this on Facebook. Mm hmm Yeah. I thought the same thing. The caption said, this guy gets a vote? Question mark, exclamation point, like indignantly. Uh, so th this guy is, is actually, the, it's a video. He's trying to start the chainsaw with the blade tucked between his legs, which to me doesn't seem like that was ever going to be a good idea. But here he is giving it a shot anyway. All right. So, so those are some people who have made bad decisions. You've made bad decisions. I've made bad decisions. When I make bad decisions, most frequently... It's usually when I make one that is based on emotion. 
Because I can be an emotional person. Now, my family, a lot of us are, are, are some combination of our parents' personalities. My parents are so on the opposite ends of this emotional spectrum. My dad is very stoic and very collected and very, sometimes it's difficult to know what he's thinking. We could be at a party and the best news ever was announced and he's like, hmm, you know, calculating it, stroking his chin, whatever. Uh, my mother, on the other hand, you do not have to guess what mom is feeling because when mom feels it, everyone feels it. That's the way it is in our house. And so somewhere on this end and somewhere on this end, you know, I, you know, people express their emotions differently. I'm somebody who there are certain emotions I'm quick to express and other emotions maybe I don't express very well because I just maybe I'm just emotionally immature or whatever. I just haven't figured out some things or maybe it's just a part of my personality too. You understand that your emotions are a significant part of your personality, right? Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And your soul is kind of like your, your personality is the expression of your soul to the world. And so when a part of my personality is my emotions and the way I respond to different situations, you know, there are times where I am high. Like, I am just like, man, things are good. I am happy. I'm loving life because everything's just clicking and everything feels in sync. And I feel like I'm making progress in the areas I want to make progress in. And then there are other days where things don't go that way for me. And I feel down. I feel depressed. I feel sad. I feel frustrated. And there are all these different ways that we feel everywhere between the positive emotions on this side, the negative emotions on this side. We feel the broad range of them and we express them in a variety of ways according to our personality. But it doesn't matter what your personality is. It doesn't matter how expressive you are or how stoic you are. What I know about every one of us is that when we have good days, we have a tendency to be really affected by that emotionally. And when we make decisions, whether they're good emotions or bad emotions, and we make decisions on the, based on those emotions, we often find ourselves regretting them because we find that we make mistakes when we are making decisions from an emotional place. Now, it's not just our decisions that are affected negatively by our emotions. There's another part of us, and this is a major, major part of the quality of our lives. It's this idea that Gabe talked about a moment ago, that you all sang about a moment ago, this, this idea of living with hope. Hope is a powerful, powerful thing. Hope is something that, if you want to understand what it is, hope is this confident assurance that in the end, everything is going to work out okay. Hope is this, this, this idea that, that I'm going to be fine, that this is going to work out, and I'm going to be okay when all of this is over. And sometimes what happens is that our circumstances, whether good or bad, affect our emotions. And our emotions then affect our hope, and our hope affects the quality of our lives. And so if you just live like most people live, then here's how you live. You live as if you're on a roller coaster, okay? Now this idea, and we thought this was funny. It looks like I'm riding on the roller coaster in first service. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Uh, super scary. I, get, I watch that. I just, I'm terrible with roller coasters. But if I watch, oh my goodness, I can't even turn around. It makes me dizzy. It's so, I'm so sick right now. Um, 
But some people live like this, high on certain days and low on other days. And, and, and there, there are certain people who have kind of given up on the roller coaster thing. They're sick of it. They've gotten off. They see that some days are good and that some days are bad, and they've just resigned themselves to nothing's ever going to change, and they live in a state of despair, a state of hopelessness. And what's so interesting about that is that neither of those ways to live is what God would, what his will is for you. Neither of those ways are God's will for your life. God does not want you to live a life where things are like this and this and twisty and turny. He doesn't want to live, you to live a life that is down in the dumps because you've just resigned yourself to, to the fact that thing, things are going to be kind of messy in your life and you're just giving up on hope. What God's will for you is that no matter what, no matter any circumstance, you would live with this confident assurance that he loves you and he's got you. And that is the essence of hope as a follower of Jesus. I want to show you this uh, from, from Hebrews chapter 6. We're, we're talking today about being anchored able to handle the storms of life. And we all need to get to a place in our lives where we can handle the, the good times and the bad without being completely rocked by it. Now, the picture of an anchor, and this is a, a, a word picture that the author of this letter in the New Testament uses. The, the picture of an anchor is that no matter what, the boat that is in the water, whether the water is calm and comfortable and, and the current is pulling in the direction they want to go or the winds are blowing in that direction or if the waters are choppy when when things get rough the anchor goes down and the boat is secure it's going to be okay no matter what comes it's going to be okay and the choppy waters may look scary but at the end of the day the boat's not drifting away and it's not getting rocked because it's been anchored to something that is not moving so in Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of this letter is writing to a Jewish audience. They're Jewish Christians in the first century. And as he's writing to them, he's speaking to them about one of their ancestors, a man named Abraham, the patriarch, the father of their people. And Abraham, if you know his story, was uh, called out from his father's homeland because God was going to start a brand new thing through Abraham and his descendants. And so God speaks to Abraham and he, he promises, he starts saying these things. And in verse 14 of Hebrews, the author is referring back to the original promise that was given about 2,000 years prior to this uh, to, to, Abra to Abraham. And so God promises him th this. He says in verse 14, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Now, when you and I hear that, that may sound like, oh, that sounds cool, that sounds good, you know, but not like the biggest deal, maybe, I don't know, I mean, but in the context of what Abraham was experiencing in his world, in his day, that was the ultimate promise that could ever be offered. For God to say, I'm going to take you and start a new family, and I will bless you, and I will multiply you, and you, you will prosper, and you will uh, be known in the earth. For God to make that promise to Abraham was like the single biggest promise that God could make to Abraham. That was it. 
And so God gives this promise to Abraham. And if you know his story, you know that this promise contradicted circumstances. Because Abraham, by the time he received this promise, was already an old man. And a couple decades later, he still doesn't even have his first child. But God has promised, I'm going to give you descendants, and they will be numerous, and they will be a blessing to this earth. And on and on the promise goes. It was all this wonderful stuff that God was promising. And yet Abraham is looking at the circumstances, and he's got to be thinking, did I hear that right? Was God lying to me? Did God misspeak? Is God incapable of living up to what he said he would do? And so Abraham, if he is keeping his eyes on circumstances, he's got to be shaken by the circumstances he sees as his life begins to unfold. But Abraham has a certain kind of hope. And here's, we're going to talk about what this hope is. We're going to kind of open it up, and hopefully you can see um, where, what I'm trying to express with this. But let me just read to you what the author says a few verses later when he's talking about Abraham and the hope that he has. This is my favorite verse in the Bible. If I had to fill out one of those, you know, forms that says, what's your favorite Bible verse? This would most likely be it. I love Hebrews 6, 19. It says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. This verse has meant so much to me over the course of life. I don't know what kind of difficulties you've gone through in your life, but I know you've gone through them. In my life, I've gone through days that felt very dark. I've gone through days that felt very hopeless. I've gone through days where I struggled with the feeling of despair. And when I do, nearly every time, this verse has been a reminder to me of what I want to communicate to you here today. So this promise is a trustworthy anchor. It is strong and it is trustworthy. Let's look at how that is the case. So I don't claim to be a prophet. <laughs> I don't think I am speaking prophetically here, but I think I can say with a certain degree of, of confidence this morning that you will face hard times in your life, right? You will face hard times. You will get a report that is not what you wanted to hear. You will have people you love who make bad choices that negatively affect your well-being. You will have business deals that fall through at the last moment that, that shatter the path that you were going down. You will have hard times that come. In this church, we've had uh, a couple families that are connected who have been told that their young sons have brain tumors. We have two people in this church, friends of mine whose mothers passed away within the past week at an age that was way too early, unexpectedly. We have a, a, a friend of mine from Connect whose health is deteriorating rapidly, and, and the doctors can't seem to figure out what in the world is going on with him. I've sat in counseling sessions with couples who felt like a line had been crossed in their relationship, and they didn't see any hope for their marriage going forward. I've sat in rooms with friends where friends felt so filled with despair that getting out was the only solution that they could think of. Are you depressed yet? <laughs> I didn't mean to depress you. I know, you know, there's some fun stuff going on today. 
We've got this new building. It's exciting. We're super pumped about that. There's a lot of energy here, a lot of fun things going on. Worship was amazing. But, and I don't mean to bring you down or anything, but I want to deal with this very real thing that we all have to come, into, come to terms with. It's how do we deal with this stuff without being completely rocked by it. I want to take you to the Old Testament. There's a, a, a prophet in the Old Testament that I want to point you toward today, and we're going to spend some time just studying his story. There's a man named Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk, um, in addition to having the worst name ever, was a, an Old Testament prophet who, uh, his, his ministry was very different from a lot of the Old Testament prophets. Old Testament prophets, if, you, if you've studied this, they tended to have this way where God would speak a message to them and then they would relay the message to the people. And Habakkuk's ministry was kind of different. His ministry was more like this. He saw what the people were experiencing and going through and he felt their heartache and he heard their cries and then he would relate it to God. And in his whole, there's a, a book in the Bible in his name, and it's literally, it, it's really short. It's only three chapters. But Habakkuk, from the beginning to the end, what we see is him venting to God, him expressing his frustration, him voicing the, the cries of the people to God. And when, it, when the chapter opens up, chapter one, it is very dark. It, it's filled with these, this kind of like heavy, like Oh, man, I don't know if I want to read this. Let's find some happy stuff. Let's flip to a different page. You know what I mean? But Habakkuk was dealing with a, a, series, a, a period in Israel's history where things were just kind of messy. If you know anything about the, the story of the, the Jewish people uh, in the Old Testament days, there was this God would call them to be with him and to relate to him. And, and he would say, listen, follow me, follow my path, follow my plans, and you will be blessed, you will prosper, you will have protection, you will be guarded, you will have a shield over you. And God would offer all these things. And the people of Israel would come running and say, that sounds good. And they would enjoy seasons of, of this, this good stuff. And then before long, they'd kind of be like, you know what, we got this, God. And we're going to take it from here, you know. And so they would kind of wander away and they would kind of remove themselves from out from under his covering. And so when they, whenever they would do that, this is kind of how God would act. He would call them back. He would say, no, 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 no. You're making a mistake. Come back to me. Listen to me. Come back to me. Obey me. You know, all of those kinds of things. And the people of Israel would kind of be like, it's fine, God. We got this. Really, we're good, you know? And they would ignore him. So God would always start with this, like, kind of this, this calling them back. But eventually, if they rejected him yet again, God would say, okay, go ahead. Go see what this world is like out from under my protection. And every time this would happen, the people of Israel would find themselves in really dark places, really bad places. They would be overcome by enemy forces. They would be slaves for a season. There was just all kinds of wicked, evil things that they were a part of when they pulled themselves out from under God's covering. So this is where the people of Israel are when Habakkuk, his ministry starts. And so here he is observing his people who he feels very uh, you know, emotionally attached to. And he's saying, God, it, let's, let's just read this in chapter one. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry. But you do not come to save. 
Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all of this misery? Wherever I look, I see, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. This is a really dark beginning to Habakkuk's letter, his book that we have. And again, it's only three chapters. And so when, when the book opens up, he's dealing with these feelings. And, and Habakkuk, his name was a very interesting name. It, in fact, there probably it wasn't a very common name among young Hebrew boys of that day. Uh, it was, he was probably the only one. It wasn't like he was running around with three or four other Habakkuks in his grade school. You know what I mean? It was like kind of a made-up name that nobody else really had. And his name was based out of an old Hebrew word, which literally means to embrace. But in the right context, it can actually mean to wrestle. And so here's what Habakkuk is doing in a very real way. He is wrestling with these feelings. He is uncomfortable. He is rocked a little bit. He is, is just frustrated. And he's being honest with God. And he's venting to God. And he's telling him, this is how I feel. This is how, how things are going. And, 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 and I don't see anywhere in the following chapters where God was like offended by Habakkuk being honest and open and frustrated. God's never threatened by that. He just doesn't want you to stay there. And so he listens to Habakkuk. And over the, the, the subsequent chapters and verses, we see this unveiling of this conversation between Habakkuk and God. And God is saying to him, listen, like in essence, like if I could summarize three chapters, Habakkuk complains and whines and, and mopes and says, this is horrible. This is not fair. And, and God says, I got you. I got you. And then over and over, this kind of thing goes. And at the end of his three chapters, there's this, this departure from where he started. At the beginning, his entire letter is filled with this negative cloud. And at the end of it all, Habakkuk's tone is completely different. Let's read that at the end. This is the very closing of his, of his book. Habakkuk writes, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will, be, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. So it's a completely different view at the end of his letter. So as I was studying this this week, I was going through and I was just looking, what changed? What changed? How does Habakkuk go from being over here in despair and darkness and at the end being in this place of hope? And the only thing, the circumstances didn't change, did they? You can see it in Habakkuk in those final verses. Even though the fields are still barren and the fig trees are dead and the, the crops are not coming in and the, the, the cattle are empty, you know, the cattle barns are empty and all this stuff. None of the circumstances have changed. The whole, you know, this is all fixed, boom, because you, you, you know, whatever. That didn't happen for Habakkuk. What happened, the only change that I can see is that Habakkuk averted his eyes from the circumstances that he was surrounded by to the God who made the promises. That was the only thing that changed. 
Habakkuk was looking at all the, the bad stuff that was going on, and he was frustrated by that, and God is basically saying, get your eyes off of that stuff, put your eyes on me, and watch me work. And I'm telling you here today, if you were going through garbage like Habakkuk's, like him and his people were, the hope for you today is not in circumstances. If you were looking at circumstances, you're going to be on a roller coaster or you're going to give up and live in a place of despair. The only place where you can have hope in the middle of hardship is when you keep your eyes on the God who made promises to bless you, promises to protect you, promises to watch over you, promises to fulfill your, your needs and to meet your needs. And, and, and if you can keep your eyes on that God who has made the promises and who does not change and does not change his promises, then you will be filled with hope. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the, 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 the circumstances have changed overnight. It means that your perspective has changed and you understand that your hope lies in the person who made the promise, not the circumstances before you. You see, as long as your eyes are on circumstances or as long as you're hoping for a desired outcome, if your hope is in, God, if you change this circumstance, man, then I'll be just fine. If you're thinking that way, I'm here to tell you that's the wrong way of, of, of going about this. What we all need to do, every single one of us, and this is a struggle, this is a challenge for me when I go through dark, difficult times, is to not focus on the difficult circumstances, but to remember that the God who made the promises has never changed. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. They're going to begin to serve us uh, the communion elements here this morning. And I just want to explain some stuff because this, the, the, the act of communion this morning is going to tie this whole thing together, okay? There are a few loose ends in my mind anyway and probably in yours regarding what, you know, this conversation that we're having today. And, uh, and as these gentlemen pass the elements out to you, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you some instruction. First of all, if you're here for the first time uh, or, or, it's been, or you've never done communion here before, let me just explain how we do this. Go ahead, gentlemen. You guys can begin to serve. Here at Connect Church, we participate in what we call open communion, which means we don't ask that you have to be a member here. We just ask that you can honestly in your heart say that you're a follower of Jesus. If you can say that you are following Jesus, that you, that you have put your faith in him and have a relationship with him, then you, we would love for you to participate in this with us. The other thing I'll tell you is as they pass those things around, you take a cracker and take a little cup of juice and just hold on to those elements for a few minutes. We're going to take all of them together here at the end once everyone has been served. But I want to I tell you something about how this all comes together here. We sang in that last song there. I don't know if you caught these words, but when I heard it, my heart was awakened to something. I think the lyric was, then came the morning that sealed the promise. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. And what, the, what that means is this. All of the promises that God has ever given, past, present, or future, in the moment that Jesus died on the cross and three days later overcame death, 
all of those promises became absolutely certain, 100% certain. And so when Abraham heard the promise and then God went through this whole thing where he began to show him how committed he was. They did this covenant ritual. It's a long story. I'm not getting into it, but you need to understand this. God made a promise and God says, this is how committed I am. I'm going to, I'm going to join myself to you through this covenant. And this covenant was his way of saying a hundred million bazillion times certain. That's not even a number, but that's how certain God was. So certain are these promises gonna come true? Because I have said it, and this is how serious I am. And when he sent Jesus, that was the fulfillment of all of, all of the promises that were made. So listen, this morning, God's promises to you, we don't have this on the screen, but let me just, this one's in my heart. Romans 8, 28, God uses all things. God works all situations all things, he works them out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If you don't know any other promise of God, that's your promise for today. And that promise is 100% certain because of what these represent. The body of Jesus is represented in this little wafer. The blood of Jesus that was poured out in his death represented in the juice. And today, as we hold these in our hands and as we partake of them in just a moment, we are reminded of just how serious God was about fulfilling all of his promises. And I'm here to tell you today, even if you don't see the progress towards the promise, this is what makes it certain. The body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. I think just about everyone's been served would you hold the, the wafer in your hand? And I just want you to take a moment, just in your own way, in your own words. This is a very personal thing. This is a, corporately, we take this together, but I want this to be a personal awakening moment for some of us. Just hold the wafer in your hand and just acknowledge in your own mind, in your own whisper, with a whisper, with a, a quiet prayer. Just thank God for what this represents. Let's just take a moment. Thank you, God. Just thank him that his blood was spilled out so that you could be forgiven and so that all of his promises that he makes to you could be 100% sealed and made certain. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You paid a great price. You paid a great price. for you and then on your way out or uh, as you walked out the, the ushers are going to receive your cups so you can put them in the, 
in the containers they have. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for promising us the good things uh, that you have made available to us, that you have promised us a hope and a future. You have promised to, to, to protect us and to watch over us. You have promised that in the end, we're going to be okay. In the end, everything will work out for the good, for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. And God, I pray that this morning, our certainty and our hope would not be in circumstances, but in the event that happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus offered up his life for us. That's the moment where all of the promises became 100% certain. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, as you go today, the gentlemen will collect your cups, so please take those to their uh, to the cups, to the containers. But I do want to say this. I hope that today has been a, an encouragement to you. I know this is kind of a heavy conversation, but it's real, right? We need to talk about stuff like this, and we need to know where to go mentally when the dark stuff comes. So be blessed. Have a great week. Love you, and we'll see you all next next week here at Connect. Joy lights on the sun.